What is up, Baton Rouge? Welcome to the fifth episode of the Tiger Pride Podcast, presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements, here as always with Jarrett Rosier of datboot.com, Louisiana versus all y'all. We've got a big episode ahead of us, but first we want to let everyone know that we are now officially on iTunes. So if you go to iTunes and search for the Tiger Pride Podcast or 225 Magazine, you'll find us right there. Hit the subscribe button, and every time we publish an interview or an episode of the podcast, it'll go right to your phone on the podcast app. It's an easy way to stay caught up with us. So LSU gets crushed on the road at Mississippi State, 37-7. We're going to talk about what went wrong in that game, everything, and how LSU can fix it. Uh, I know it seems bad right now, Tiger fans, but the sky isn't falling just yet. Jarrett and I will tell you why. And in some better news, we also have a fantastic interview with Dennis Enos and Kelvin Jones. They're two of the directors of the Golden Band from Tigerland, everyone's favorite. They filled us in on everything from the halftime show preparations to the song choices during the game and basically everything that goes into making a game day successful. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. We'll have a portion of it here in the episode, but we'll also publish the full interview online in case you want to check that out. It will also be on iTunes. And then, of course, Jarrett and I will take a look at LSU's upcoming showdown with Syracuse. What should we expect from the Tigers in the next few weeks as they return back home to Tiger Stadium? All right, Jarrett. So <laughs> Baton Rouge is melting. Uh, Mississippi State pulls off a 37-7 win against LSU. Was never really felt that close for LSU. Um, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong in that game went wrong uh, for the Tigers. The story of the game, uh, I think we're all talking about today, is the nine penalties for 112 yards, uh, basically giving them uh, the length of, of, of the field to go down and, and score. Two players ejected, Donnie Alexander and Neil Farrell on uh, pretty close plays. Um, maybe questionable, but both of them hit helmet to helmet. Um, just, I don't even know where to start with this one. Not, not many things went right for the Tigers. Just what's your overall, overall takeaways? And, um, I mean, this is a bad loss. I know you got some numbers on how bad this loss kind of stacks up in, in LSU history. Yeah. I mean, it's, people talked a lot about it being the worst loss to Mississippi state since the fifties. Um, their first loss at Mississippi state in a while. First loss at Mississippi state as a ranked team since I think the mid eighties, they, lose by 30 points, which other than that game, Brandon Harris's freshman year at Auburn, which that LSU team lost by 34, um, this is, I mean, this is one of the worst losses they've had since 2000. Uh, There was a a loss against Bama in 2002 by 31, but this ties the loss at Florida in 08 as the third largest loss since 2000. And like you said, it was, it was really just kind of everything. We talked last week about, I said, if, if things didn't go well early, it could be a problem for LSU. And I don't know that I put a lot of blame or the bulk of the blame on the young guys and the stage because it was just kind of everyone. You had veterans that were making really poor decisions as well. And LSU was, I mean, right there. Things weren't going great in the first quarter, but they're right there. Even they had a chance to go up, but one of the penalties brings back the DJ Shark touchdown. And when they give up the first actual touchdown of the game, they answer. But then late in that second quarter, things started spiraling, and they just never stopped. LSU continually looked worse and worse, and Mississippi State looked stronger and stronger. 
I don't want, I hate to make excuses for, for anything. I mean, the penalties are unacceptable. Some of them I did think were a little tough calls, especially on some of them that took back the touchdowns. Uh, after watching it, I haven't got a chance to rewatch and go look at it or anything, but did you think they were, for the most part, the, the two ejections and the two touchdowns being called back, do you think they were the, they were the right call or did that, seem, did that seem a little harsh? The one I questioned the most was that first touchdown where – they flag Stephon Sullivan and bring back the 66-yard, I think, uh, DJ Shark touchdown. I don't know that that was a good call. The the others, particularly the ejections, I mean, those were two guys that, that hit Nick Fitzgerald in the head and late. So that as much of an emphasis as referees are putting on that now these days and particularly this season – I wasn't surprised by those at all. It's kind of crazy to see two of them happen in that quick of succession in the third quarter. But I, and honestly, there were some some plays where they probably could have been flagged and weren't. Because I, I mean, I thought Ed Paris could have been flagged for pass interference on a play in I don't remember if it was the second or third quarter, but down the the far left sideline, he he pushed a guy and. At first, it looked like the ball was probably not really catchable, but then as you watched it a few more times, the the receiver actually got his hands on it maybe ha- would have had a chance if he hadn't been shoved. And so there there were some things like that. And that's, I mean, that's kind of football. You put yourself in situations where it's it's close and it's it's tough to argue. And they have a reputation right now as, as a team that, that is committing a lot of penalties because they're tied for fourth in the country as um, – among most penalized teams there are teams right now that are navy is the least penalized team in the nation averaging one a game and lsu's at 10 and then there's some other teams that are averaging two and a half or 3.3 so lsu is four and three and four times as as many penalties per game as as some of these other schools it's it's something they've got to get fixed and that's something Ed Orgeron said after the second game that they knew they had to get fixed and they talked about bringing extra officials during practice last week and all those things but we talked about that last week too it's it isn't as easy to fix maybe as he made it sound like it was after the Chattanooga game and we saw it again in Starkville and I want to uh talk about how the how they can fix it um after we break down the game just a little bit more but um it was frustrating to me to see I mean the 37 giving up 37 is bad only scoring seven is bad I don't even know which one you is worse. I think the Mississippi State offense we've seen this year put up some points. I, I kind of thought it was going to be a little higher scoring. I didn't expect LSU to only put up seven. Um, out of those two, which one was the worst to you, either only scoring seven or, or giving up the 37? The I mean, the over-under on that game was in the low 50s. So, it I mean, it ended up being a little bit lower scoring overall than Vegas and a lot of people thought it would. And uh, Mississippi State held up its end, its end of that 53 or whatever it ended up being. Um, but LSU couldn't really do much of anything off it. I, and I don't know that I see one as worse than the other. It was just bad all around. Um, you saw trouble in, in all phases. Danny Etling didn't look great. But I, I really didn't think, as much as we talk about me being like a Danny detractor the last few weeks, now I'll I'll turn into Danny defender. <laughs> um, I didn't think his game was that bad by comparison. He was under pressure quite a bit. The running game didn't get going the way that you expected to. And I don't know how much I fault Darius for that, though, either, because 
in instances where he got dropped at the line of scrimmage or for a loss, it was because guys were on him the second he touched the ball. The I mean, the receivers had those drops. It it was just bad. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, and what, what was frustrating to me, and I mean, I appreciate Matt Canada coming out and wanting to get the offense going and, and kind of do the hurry up, but you got, you got to the point where you were – the defense is on the field for these long, sustained drives. The offense would come on, and even if it wasn't a three and out, even if they would get a first down, they were in this hurry-up mode – the defense never got to got to rest. It, it was they would come out and, and run these plays and try to and I get it try to you know get, get some points on the board quick and kind of turn the momentum and it just kind of kept backfiring. Um, Etling finishes thirteen of twenty nine for one thirty seven and like you said a lot of that um, he didn't look great. You're right. A lot of that uh, fell on the receivers. Another one that's kind of going to be replayed is that one that hit Russell Gage in the face and he was wasn't ready for it. We saw a few kind of I mean even the one fell through the hands of. DJ Chark that was uncharacteristic of him um and again we like I mentioned it before just everything that could have gone wrong in this game kind of kind of went wrong they were dominated on both lines of scrimmage um guys couldn't really get anything going uh 15 carries 76 yards so we still averaged five yards a touch which is which is good but um yeah couldn't really establish a running game couldn't sustain uh couldn't sustain any drives um another time of possession uh favored Mississippi State 35 to 24 um, so just, I mean, again, all sides of the ball just kind of seemed like state dominated and, and never, LSU could never get the momentum going on their side. Um, and I saw one article already online that says coach O is on the hot seat. I mean, do you, that seems ridiculous to me, but do you, do you put any stock in that? Is his seat already heating up after three games as a, as a full-time head coach? I don't know. I mean, people, I had people ask me be, before the season, whether I thought there was a potential that this could be a a one-year tenure and my reaction to that was was kind of you know that's just LSU fans being real dramatic because there were a lot of people and still are a lot of people that criticize the hiring in general and but three games man is crazy to me to think that that something would happen particularly soon as bad as as that outing was it was just one game I don't know where things stand for his security moving forward. I think it's it's probably premature to to start talking about making a move there, but at the same time, expectations for LSU football are incredibly high and Saturday was not inspiring. Um and and especially when we talk about the concerns now moving forward, they've they've got their job cut out for them right now to make sure that they come back strong against Syracuse and and kind of make Saturday look like more of a fluke or an isolated letdown than a sign of things to come and they've got a couple of weeks against opponents that they should take care of even if they don't necessarily play their best before they get into that Florida and Auburn back-to-back and then eventually the rest of the SEC schedule so it's it's just going to be interesting to see how they respond to it because it could they could put it behind them and still do some good things or things could spiral in the bigger picture the way we saw them spiral Saturday, and, and that could be a real problem. And like you mentioned, uh, if there is some kind of good news to pull from this, it is that LSU has two, two weeks in a row against uh, some, some weaker opponents. Hopefully they can just kind of get back into the, into the swing of things and just get winning, um, that winning mentality. Just, just try to f- use these next two weeks against Syracuse and Troy just to, just to iron out some of these kinks. Um, and we do it every week. We try to pick a, a player of the game on both sides of the ball. Um, let's start defensively because there was at least 
some semblance of bright spots on the defensive side of the ball. Um, uh, I'm going to give mine to, to Devin White for his 11 tackles that led the team. <clears throat> one and a half for a loss. But I'll, I'll give it to to Devin White, and I'll let you go uh, defensive, and then you can kind of take it and go to the to the offense if you want to do that first. Oh, goodness. When when I was watching this game, I, w- I just kept thinking about were we, were we going to do players of the game for this week because it was really rough. Devin, I think, is a, is a good one, though, and Corey Thompson – I thought had a, a decent game again, and offensively, maybe Darius. I, I really thought this that the whole not picking Darius just yet was going to turn into the week that he had some crazy 200-yard game, and uh, and you you couldn't give it to anyone else because he had just excelled so much. Was going to be the week that I went with Darius, but it turns out to be a week where everything else was just so rough that what could end up being one of Darius's lesser statistical games. I thought he was, he was still strong when he got his opportunities. He just, he didn't have as much room to maneuver as he had the the past two weeks or as you would expect him to have most weeks. Yeah. I really, I really hate double dipping on, uh, on players of the week. Um, but I, I don't really even know what other direction to go in. I, I, Etling didn't look sharp. Uh, all the running backs behind Darius didn't look, or didn't really have that many chances to even look sharp. Um, Darrell Williams had a nice touchdown run. So I guess you can give him that. The receivers obviously struggled. Um, and then we talked about special teams um, last week and how that impacted the game. I mean, Josh Groudon had to punt the ball seven times. Most of them were, were pretty good. Um, the longest was 53. It was nice to see. But some he were kind of shanked. And we LSU didn't really win the field position battle either. All right, so before we talk about the Tigers' trip back home to take on Syracuse, we want to give you part of the interview we had with band directors Dennis Enos and Kelvin Jones. They were super insightful, gave some really eye-opening answers to everything that goes into the Golden Band from Tigerland. I think y'all are really going to enjoy this. Take a listen. All right, Mark Clements with 225 Magazine over at the band hall with uh, Kelvin Jones, the assistant director of bands, and Dennis Enos, the associate director of bands. Uh, so I want to start and just kind of get you guys to, to talk and so people can recognize whose voice is whose and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do with the band. I know there's a lot going on, and we've already talked a little bit about the practices and game day rituals, that kind of thing. Just tell us a little bit about uh, the, the behind the scenes of, of what you guys do with the band. Sure. Um yeah, I'm, I'm Dennis Inas. I'm the director of the Tiger Band. Um, this is my second year in that capacity. And um, what do we do? I don't know, Kelvin. What do we do on a daily basis? <laughs> um, we, uh, we, we basically, there's a, there's a lot of things that happen in preparation for any game. Um, of course, our planning really starts uh, probably February when we start trying to pick shows. That's about when we do it, huh? Yeah, yeah we, we basically have a running Google Doc um, between the two of us that, you know, we start putting show ideas in there and then we assemble like um, a team with the students, like a show design team. And basically we just tell them, OK, you guys pull, you know, the rest of your sections and um, find out what are people interested in? What would they like to see no matter how bizarre or how impossible you think it is? And then um, and then we, we get all of their ideas and some are great and some are a little ambitious and probably won't work. Um, and so we get that. And we start and between the two of us. We kind of um, dwindle it down to the things that, that we think will work. And then we send out a, um, basically a survey to those students and to the rest of the band and say, OK, um, tell me uh, the ones that you like the most. Pick your top like five, let's say, you know, and between all the students, you know, there's that, that list is about 10, you know, 10, 15 shows. Um, 
and then we sit down and we figure out, okay, so what can we actually do with this? You know, what, you know, how, how good can I write the music? And I, I do the majority of the music writing and Kelvin does uh, the majority of the, of the marching okay. drill stuff, which will be called drill. And we try to figure out like, um, you know, what, what shows are going to have the most impact with the audience. I mean, am I missing anything on that? No, that's pretty much it. It's a, it's a lot, it's large. There's a large portion of it that's student-led um, with their feedback. Um, we kind of cipher some of our ideas down as well. Kind of narrow down to shows that we're going to do, like Dan was talking about. And one of the things we try to do is see if we can kind of incorporate multiple ideas into kind of one show. I think right. a couple years ago, we did a superhero show um, where instead of it doing a traditional military show, we incorporated like comic book heroes. And then we yeah. did like Olympic um, local heroes and then actual uh, veterans to kind of incorporate like three ideas into one so we can kind of incorporate the different ideas because we can only do like six shows in a sense um, right you know for a year so that, that like Dennis was saying we plan that kind of throughout the whole year we even have ideas for next year uh, a lot of them are probably terrible but um you know we have them <laughs> and then just kind of going through that process of okay this will work if we tweak this this would be great to kind of take things kind of to the next level and so you, you say you start planning pretty early in advance but I, I remember last year when the flooding hit and they had the shootings over the summer and y'all, the band came out for maybe the first home game or one of the first home games and, you know, spelled out Baton Rouge and with the heart and Louisiana and all that kind of stuff. How quickly was that? That that, that was a, a, I thought it was awesome. It was a, a huge hit. It was good for kind of brought the community together. It was, it was a the perfect timing, the perfect place to, to, to do that. How late was that planned and how hard is it to plan something like that? Is it a last minute type type deal? Yeah, that was unique because that was a little bit, that's almost like a little less planning. So, you know, as we all know, the Great Flood hit and, you know, a lot of us and our students were impacted, my family as well. So uh, we kind of just had a meeting with our staff and just kind of decided that for this game, I think that was going to be like two weeks or a week or two. It was like under three weeks, I know for sure, that that we were going to do our first home game. And so we kind of met and was like, it's the right thing to do. So we kind of scrapped. Our first show was going to originally be the New Orleans show. NOLA, um, but it was just, that was just the right thing to do for our crowd and our state. So um, luckily, our other colleague, uh, Damon Talley, who's the director of bands, he wrote the drill for that. And then Dennis is a whiz when it comes to writing music. Um, like, he literally wrote that music in like two days. Um, so we kind of did that and just kind of incorporated everything last minute like but we put it together um kind of stressful because also too imagine. with our practice field um with the flood after we did a few rehearsals our field was a mess like literally students were marching in and they had come out and their shoe was still in the ground so we had to re- uh, relocate luckily to a different part of campus to have rehearsals so that whole week and a half was just stressful you know on top of the extra things and school was starting and it's a new drill so students have to learn new music and just all of that but you know, our kids are first class, you know, it's Trooper all the way to the product you saw on the show, that Unbroken show, you know, it's a great hit. Yeah, you know, what people don't realize, too, is that, like, you know, our band camp is this long, ex- drawn-out thing. You know, we have a, right. a few days where we get our um, leaders in and we train them how to teach because our, our students take a big part in the teaching. I mean, you know, the success of the band, I mean, we have a little bit to do with it, but the students have a lot to do with it, and they do a lot of teaching and all that. And so we, we train them on how to teach. Then we invite new members to come in, and then we invite the returning members. So, I mean, band camp is like this, you know, week and a half, two-week thing. And, you know, with that flood, with people affected, you know, we didn't have any training for the for the leadership. We didn't have any new member training. Everybody just reported um, when, when, the, when the university administration told us, okay, it's safe to bring people in. Um, and then we had some students that were saying, hey— I mean, I, I might have to miss a little bit of band camp because my house is flooded. I'm like, of course. Right. Go take care of your family, of course. Um, so that was a little crazy. So 
we so we at the end of that we we had that nola show ready and it wasn't until the end of band camp and the beginning of school that we met and we said we probably need to do this i remember it was right after the chances welcome um performance that we did the day before classes started that we met and we're like okay we got to put this together we just learned a whole other show but we really have to do this for our community um so we got to writing drill we got to writing music got to planning and um and and the, like i said the students are troopers you know they put it together quick and it's it was i think it was like i said i think it was awesome it was the right timing the right setting uh you talk about writing the drill and writing the music how how quickly can usually or i guess how tough it is is it to to teach these students and i see like you know, like last week you had you know the boxers mm-hmm. knocking each other how tough yeah. is it to get the band to do Make it and make, make make sure it looks what you want it to look like, and get them to walk. I mean, as somebody who doesn't never been in band, never yeah. marched and you know walked and done drill, I think a lot of fans are just kind of amazed by like how you can get people that many people organized and make it look that good. How, how does how does that all come together? Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> we just throw them into the field. We say, hey, why don't you make some boxing? No, no, it's, it's actually a really detailed process. You know, the music part of it, um, you know, and and planning all of that. Um, I, I've gotten to the point, I do a lot of music writing. So I've gotten to the point where I'm kind of quick on it. So when we get it, we immediately send to the students and we tell them, okay, start working on this stuff. And then the section leaders lead sectionals with their sections. So by the time we get all together, they've had individual practice time. They've had small groups of working on the music and then we put it together. So it makes our job a lot easier because like I said, the students, the student leaders really have a lot of input with that. And our students are great. They practice, you know, and they make sure they're prepared. Um, you know, with the marching part, uh, it's it's tricky you know even now like they have to have an awareness of what's going on around them i mean i'll I'll let kelvin talk about like how he writes it and all that stuff because that's you know that's that's where he's like the master um but you know our kids like when, when they get these pieces of paper with all these dots they go to these places on the field and they're looking at the ground to see where they're supposed to go but after that first day where they're worrying about themselves they start to have to look up and say okay Am I still in this straight line or am I supposed to be as part of, you know, you know, the the string of this boxing love? I mean, these right, crazy right. things. And they have to be aware of that and they have to realize how they develop. Um, so we try to post some videos for them so they can see how they um, go with that and how the drill is supposed to be manipulated. Um, and we're constantly stressing to them, look at the person next to you. You got to stay next to that person. And um, I know that sounds really easy. But it actually is a little tougher. I mean, you want to? Yeah, it's true. Um, and I don't want a couple of things we kind of incorporated this past couple of years is just really being just technological savvy. Um, this past, like two years ago, we went from paperless. In the past, students would get paper drill and paper music. And so, if Dennis wanted to make an edit to one of the things in the music, we'd have to get the librarians or someone to make copies of it, cut the co- co- right, cut that, right. pass it out, have it for next rehearsal. Now, when we have to make changes, we could just click for a button we send it out and students receive like a, a form we call OneDrive through Google where they can access all their music and we also did it with the drill as well um, so that just kind of just saves time across the board and this year we started incorporating videos so I do a lot of the drills through um, this program called Pyware so it allows me to just create a video so they can see this is what we're striving to do for this week right. and Dennis does the same thing with the music he sends them a MIDI file of this is how the music's supposed to sound so it kind of gives them a heads up especially for auxiliaries to kind of know planning choreography and things like that so that helps us out a little bit on the front end but a lot of it is once you kind of figure out certain maneuvers and like Dennis was talking about you have a certain dot and a certain number and then we have a certain grid system where you know you're eight steps from the yard line it shows you specifically where you should be and then the students just kind of get comfortable the more we do it of like Dennis saying the spatial awareness of I should be the glove or I am the tip of the head, so I should not sink in. Or right. you know, it's no longer a head; it's an oval. <laughs> yeah, 
so you know so a lot of that just comes from you know just repetition but a lot of it is just based on just we using utilizing technology for a lot of things we're doing pedagogically with the group that's really cool and uh, let's talk a little bit about about game day um and i was telling you before that we started the podcast about um the walk down victory hill and how much the the fans love that and obviously people line the all the sides of it how much preparation goes into that and and making sure it's you know a whole the whole show you have the, some old band members kind of lead it sometimes and just how how cool is that experience and how much practice goes into just the actual actual game day hate to give a, a huge downer but we don't we, we we very minimally rehearse i say that we, we talk about things during band camp and a lot of things talk about how to get into the pmac we may spend maybe two days it's, it's, max an hour yeah i'm trying to be nice here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but like i said the kids are troopers um it, it, we have this expectation of you know do something as if you've done it for a lot of you know a long time even though we may do it once so um so that portion is probably more frantic for the staff because what a lot of um fans they just don't know is you know we just don't allow students to people to just walk through the band right just for their own safety last thing we want is someone coming through and they get hit with a symbol and there's a huge gas you know it's just for their safety so we're probably more frantic than the students just trying to crowd control and luckily we have our you know lsu pd and certain troopers to kind of help out with that but sometimes you know depending on the game it's just you know live atmosphere and people want to see the band so they get really really close and it's just not for their safety it's not necessarily the best idea there um but in regards to rehearsing for that we we, we talk about it and that's the we, easy we part it. Huh? yeah that's the easy part and you know the kids love it that's probably one of the greatest things about this program you know it's a tradition there you know that we have a parade just to get to the game you know and right. something about pregame when they hear those notes you know the crowd just goes crazy well, i was going to ask about y'all's first interaction with the pregame whether it was the pregame music that is you know lsu fans love or the pregame walk y'all's first interaction with that and what kind of what y'all this initial reaction from whatever, whatever your your band pass was this was that something different y'all hadn't seen before was it is it y'all you know makes y'all passionate appreciate the the fans here and the and the band here that kind of thing yeah i mean um i i when i went to undergrad uh, down in miami i mean we didn't have a marching band in my university um until i was about to leave they, they formed one um, and then I, um, I did some other degrees at University of Texas, but college football, I was, you know, I, I just followed on TV, but it wasn't something that I was immersed in like a culture anywhere until I got to Texas and I started to get a little more immersed in, you know, in, in that culture there. Cause they, they had a good football team at the time. Um, and, um, and when I got here though, it, there's a different, there's a different love of the band. There's a different respect of the band and, um, of what they do to set up that atmosphere for the game day, um, that I had experienced before anywhere. Um, people are all about what we do and people come in to see pregame and they cheer when we play for them. I mean, you know, and that's like, that's the best feeling in the world. Um, when we get in there and these students who are working hard to be able to do things, um, and the crowd responds to that, you know, um, I, I remember this year when we did our first pregame, um, in new Orleans down at the, at the Superdome, yeah. um, I was on the sideline, you know, and so I'm watching the kids and, you know, Kelvin and I are watching with like a with a very evaluative yeah we don't enjoy anything until the last game because we're like okay at this point we can't really make anything better but like every time we're watching we're like oh I gotta fix that oh I gotta fix that so we get out there and the crowd is like going crazy when we first march out this is their first pregame of the season and we have some freshmen I'm looking at their eyes and like their mouths are open they're like looking around with their eyes they're looking up a TV screen I'm like this is gonna be a disaster <laughs> and then and like you know we start playing the crowd and i guess it's because it's an enclosed area the crowd is extra loud so they, they start playing they can't hear themselves and kids are just forgetting everything like i'm like you've 
had to be kidding me. Get it together. And they, they sort of did pull it together after. But I mean, you know, the, the crowd really has that big an impact. And these kids walk off the field with these giant smiles on their faces. And they're like, oh, that's why I put in all that time during right. band camp. And that's why, you know, we, we're out in the sun sweating and all that stuff, you know, so that it, it's it's the the fans and and the, the the community and all that is is really why we do this yeah facebook twitter instagram that kind of thing can you tell people how to how to follow y'all uh if they want to stay in touch sure um on facebook um at t g b f tl the golden bear from tiger land yeah yeah i got it gotcha. um and the same handle for instagram and for twitter is uh at lsu bands Okay, great. Well, thank you guys for the time. I appreciate it. This has been super insightful, and I think uh, a lot of people are really going to enjoy hearing, hearing y'all's stories. So thank you for your time. No problem. Go Tigers. So that was just part of the interview we had with Dennis Enos and Kelvin Jones. If you want to hear more from the two band directors, subscribe to the Tiger Pride podcast on iTunes or head over to 225batonrouge.com, and we'll have the link for you there. There's still tons of great stuff that we couldn't even fit into this episode of the podcast, so be sure to go check that out. Uh, now Jarrett and I will move on to this week's matchup with Syracuse and our thoughts heading into the weekend. Oh, like we keep saying, there's not, not not much good to take from this, but let's try to let's see if we can instill some positivity. Let's see if we can get LSU fans to not melt. If there is reason for optimism, the season's not crumbling just yet. What are you what are you going to tell fans just to just to keep them level headed and try to find something uh, promising to, to pull from this week? Well, like I said, it's at the end of the day, it's just one game, and you see a lot of cause for concern in a lot of different areas, but it still counts right now as one loss, and so you hope that if, if this coaching staff and these players can regroup and and learn from this, they we said it last week, they've got to clean up the penalties because those were – were crucial if they can heal up these next few weeks and hopefully that can help in in some ways in that defensive front situation when they can get some of those other guys back that this is still the same team we saw the previous two weeks that has a lot of talent and has the capability to beat just about anyone on the schedule so it's it's just kind of a, in terms of looking for positivity it's a matter of being patient and hoping that these guys heal up and both physically and kind of mentally and just kind of regroup and rise to the occasion because that talent's still there. Yeah, if I'm going to put on my overly optimistic glasses because it obviously doesn't look good after the, after the loss, um, what I'm hoping for or what LSU fans are hoping for, it's going to be a long season if we main to keep it too negative, but what you got to hope for is that maybe this was one of those games where everything falls apart at the same time. The offense doesn't click. The defense isn't clicking. And we've seen games in the past, like even the Bama game last year, defense is on point. Offense can't get anything going. Maybe this is just one of those instances where you take a young team on the road. It's a learning experience. A lot of these guys have not played in that kind of atmosphere before. Um, and everything just kind of from the penalties to the offense can't get anything clicking. The defense is struggling. Maybe this is just one of those giant learning curves. Um, it's a, a big experience all around. And they can turn it around, get these next couple of wins under their belt, and then their next big test will come against Florida. And then I, and we kind of have been circling the Mississippi State game as the first, the first test to see where this team stands. The next big test that we're going to circle is is at Florida. The next two weeks should be um, relatively smooth wins. 
Um, so we got a couple weeks to figure out what this team uh, really is. And, and um, they dropped in the polls down to number 23. Mississippi State jumps them to number 19. They're probably going to sit in that little bubble for the next couple weeks until they go to Florida. Um, it, it, they play Syracuse this weekend, a 6 o'clock kickoff back at home in Tiger Stadium. What's the biggest thing you're looking for out of this team um, against an opponent that they, sh- they should be able to take care of business? What do you what do you work on the most? So what's the one thing you're going to be keeping your eye on? That's And that's tough, too, just because everything was so rough on Saturday against Mississippi State. And I don't know how how much of an indicator I can even take from how things go up front. If, I mean, if they have trouble up front against these teams to come, then it's a real problem. Just you can expect it to be a problem every week at that point. But they should – some of these things that we saw them have trouble against Mississippi State, we won't be able to learn that much against Syracuse and Troy. But still, they have I mean, they've just got to make the easy plays. They've got to – play football smart not not have penalties not have breakdowns all of those things just execute and I, I don't know that sounds really vague and basic and coach speaky but they didn't execute really in a lot of areas against Mississippi State so you just want to go see them play clean football no I mean yeah it sounds coach speaky but that was going to be my exact answer is just go get a clean game under your belt because even in the even in the first two weeks of wins we talked about the penalties and how that was okay not you know not okay but you can get away with it in those in those games and but and you see it against state and that and that's when it becomes a problem when you get these sec games and you still have the the penalty issue um so yeah i'm with you i think just a clean game go out there take care of business and just look like a top tier team that you are uh you know you see these other top 10 teams playing their lesser opponents that it seems like it's and again we're not watching the in the details of the game but it just never seems out of hand or never seems that there's all these issues lingering with these teams. Um, that's what you want to see from LSU this week is just uh, a clean football game, cut down on the penalties, take care of business. Uh, I want to see a little bit of fire in them too, even though it is Syracuse. I want to see them come out. You th- I think you and I were talking before we, we started the podcast about how State just came out with way more energy, way more passion um, fueled by that home crowd. LSU just kind of seemed flat uh, from the get-go and, and not it just kind of dogpiled from there. Um, so I guess, yeah, the two things I'm watching is, is just the clean football game, cut back on the penalties, and show a little bit of fire back at home. Yeah, that was that was something I was thinking about, too, was just the energy to start the game, even though it's against an opponent that people expect them to take care of, regardless of what happened this past week. And I think that we can take some indication if they do come out fired up and and focused and start strong that maybe they have done a good job of rebounding, putting it behind them, and, and all those things that they're going to need to do to have a, a successful season. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we talked about it in a preseason podcast. I know I told a lot of people, I thought if this was a two-loss team, that it was going to be a really great year because I thought they had the potential to have some trouble. And they could still, looking at some of these other teams and, and some of the issues they've had, they they could theoretically end up being a two-loss team, but things could spiral and become a four or five-loss season really easily. It could be a could be kind of a mix and be a weird, frustrating year where they end up 
beating a bunch of people that right now you think they would have trouble against, but then lose to like Mississippi State and Texas A&M or something, and just right when you think they should be good, they drop one. But how they how they handle this from just a mentality standpoint moving forward from that Mississippi State game and into these next few and trying to continue to build and and be much better and improved by the time you take that trip to Florida is is going to be huge. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, the last time LSU played Syracuse was 2015. Uh, that was in in New York. Um, lost that they excuse me won that game 34-24. Probably a little closer than what LSU fans would have liked. Um, I I don't think this game is going to be as close. But then <laughs> then again, I guess you really never really know with this team. Uh, I think LSU probably scores roughly the same amount, like a 35-38 range. Um, I think that Dave Aranda gets this defense fired up and ready to go. Um, even though they're going to be down a couple of players because of the uh, ejection. Um, I'll go ahead and say a, a 38-17 game, something like that. I would like to see uh, a, a good, solid, you know, 20-something point win, but you, you'd hope to see get get firing on back on all cylinders. Um, I don't think it will be as close as a 10-point game. Uh, so I'll say 38-17. Yeah, and I'm thinking something along the lines of 31-13 to 13 maybe, so not too far off from from what you're talking about um so Syracuse is two and one on the season um they've scored 50 and 41 in their in their two wins this year uh, against Central Connecticut and Central Michigan they lost to Middle Tennessee State 30 to 23 um so again shouldn't be uh too tough of a, of a game for LSU but you just still a lot to look out for a lot you want to uh you want to see in this game That'll wrap up the fifth installment of the Tiger Pride podcast presented by 225 Magazine. We hope you enjoyed everything, and if you did, do us a favor and go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Tiger Pride Podcast or 225 Magazine. Either one should work. Hit the subscribe button, and every new episode or interview we upload will go straight to your phone through the podcast app. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. That's facebook.com slash 225magazine and on Twitter and Instagram at 225batonrouge. It's game week, so you know we're going to have all the videos, pictures, interviews, both pre- and post-game. We're going to have some really good stuff. Thanks, as always, to Jarrett for his insight. You can follow him on Twitter at Jarrett Roser and myself at Mark Clements 225 Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you all next week.